and welcome those of you who are here, those of you watching online, so glad that you're with us this morning. In fact, if it's your first time being here at Vibrant Church in the building, or maybe it's your first time watching us online, church, can we tell them how glad we are that they are there and that we are here? So glad you're joining us. Uh, this morning. Hey, before we get into the Word of God, let me give you a couple of quick things that you're going to want to be reminded of. First of all, everybody say this Wednesday. Come on, everybody say mega worship. Mega worship night is going down this Wednesday night. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it as we get ready to kick off the fall season and the school year, whatever that's going to look like. Who knows, right? But anyway, as we get ready to kick things back off into fall, we're going to do it through worship, man. We, we look forward to these nights. We only do a few of these a year, but man, they are so powerful. God's presence is, is just real in a very special way. And he touches people every time. It's just an amazing time. I don't know about you, but I really believe that the presence of God changes everything. I really believe that. Come on, are y'all awake today in the house of God, right? So I want you to be here, mega worship night. My friend, Pastor Daniel Grove, is gonna be in the house leading. We have an incredible, incredible uh, uh, event just lined out for that night. Don't miss it. Bring somebody with you. Where We will be broadcasting it online as well for those of you who aren't able to get out right now. So don't miss it. Be a part of it this Wednesday night, 7 p.m. It's gonna be amazing. Also, big, big important announcement. As you know, you, we've been talking about this Tomorrow morning, actually it starts today, but we really are kicking it off tomorrow morning is 21 days of prayer. It's happening starting tomorrow for the next 21 days. We do this in January every year, but we, I really felt just led by the Lord that we need to do it. How many believe that we need to pray now more than ever? Right, we, we really do, and prayer changes things, and I really believe something powerful happens when God's people unite their faith in prayer. I wanna encourage you, say, if, if, you, if you've been a part of this in January when we do it, we usually will do this every weekday morning, Monday through Friday from six to 7 a.m. right here in the auditorium, and we have live worship, and we have, it's an hour of prayer. It's, it's a phenomenal, we have it structured, it's an amazing time. However, because of the climate that we're in, we will be doing this online. And so I wanna encourage you, get up in the morning, open up your computer, log into Facebook Live. I am going to be standing right here tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. with our staff, and we're gonna lead a time of prayer. We're gonna have worship. Uh, you can join in right from your home or your car, wherever you are, but I want you to log in and join us. I'm gonna lead you. I'm gonna do a little exhortation. I got some things on my heart that I wanna share with you from Scripture just a little bit as we launch into 21 days of prayer, and then we're gonna lead into a time of prayer. We're gonna do this every morning from 6 to 7 a.m. for the next 21 days. I want you to be a part of it. Log on, be a part of it. Jesus, Jesus spoke about prayer so often and the power of prayer and how it has the power to shatter strongholds. And God said, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, what did he promise? He gave a threefold promise. I would hear from heaven. I would forgive their sins. Listen, and I would heal their land. So God puts the responsibility on his people. And so I'm calling the church, if you wanna get old school with it, your shepherd, your pastor, is calling this body of Christ to a season of prayer. I am calling a corporate prayer movement for the next 21 days, and I want you to be a part of it. Can you say amen, everybody? Well, are you ready to get in God's word today? We've been in a series we, we launched a few weeks ago on the book of Revelation. Everybody shout Revelation. I, I'm, are you enjoying this so far? I'm loving it. I'm having a blast teaching through this. Uh, as I've said already, it's been the number one question I've been asked all through the last four months is, Pastor, you know, are we in the last days? 
And the answer is very simple. We've been in the last days, the very moment that Jesus' foot left this earth and ascended to heaven. We've been in the last days, but we understand prophetically that things begin to roll and get faster and faster the more time is running on the calendar. We're getting closer. We're in the 11th hour, I believe, of the coming of the Son of God. I believe we talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse last Sunday in Revelation. We haven't seen them yet, but I really believe that with all that's going on in our world, come on, we hear the hoofbeats hitting the concrete right now. We We hear them coming. They're coming. We are in that time that Jesus, that the prophets talked about, that revelation, that the revelation of, of Jesus that John got and what was prophetically gonna happen in the future. It is all unfolding right before us. And we've, we've been talking about it for the last several weeks. And today, we're in Revelation chapter eight. If you're joining us, if you get your note sheet, hey, get it out. If you're joining us online, get out the note sheet. The host will drop a link in the chat box for you to get that and follow along this morning. We begin in Revelation eight and we look at verse one and here's how it starts out. It says that when John, or when he, Jesus, opened the seventh, seal, there was silence in heaven. I think it's a sobering statement. There was silence in heaven. Sometimes the most dramatic thing in all the universe is silence. Up to this point in Revelation, we've looked at what's been going on in heaven, that there's this multitude that no one can count. They're singing to God. There are angels around the throne. They're singing to God. There's this incredible roar of praise that's going on and on in heaven. And now, right before the opening of the seventh seal, which, which contains the seven trumpet judgments, right at the moment that this happens, when, when the seventh seal opens, silence all across heaven. It's, it's so dramatic. It's something like, have, have you ever been in nature when all of a sudden everything, you're just in the, in the woods or something and everything just gets real quiet and you look around like, what's happening? Did I miss something, right? Or, or maybe you're in a room, uh, maybe a church service even where the Holy Spirit is moving in a powerful, you ever been in one of those environments where the Holy Spirit just moves and there, there's like a holy hush, there's like a silence that comes over. Like it's, it, it, but this is talking, what this is talking about is even more dramatic than that. In heaven, there is silence right as the seventh seal begins to open. It's an incredible display of the greatness of God. It's as if that everyone stops to wait and see what God's next move is. It's this holy hush that falls over heaven. Everything just stops and everything just waits. And then we come and we begin to see the next part of the revelation unveiled to the apostle John, this angel that is at the altar of prayer. And in verse two, John says, I saw the seven angels who stand before God. And to them were given seven trumpets. And these seven trumpets are gonna be judgments that come upon the world. By the way, we know the name of one of these angels that stand before God. In fact, you'll be, uh, you, you would know him in scripture if you went back to Luke chapter one and 19. It says, and the angel answered and said to him, I am who everybody? Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And so we understand that Gabriel is the angel that came and made the announcement at Christmas to Mary and to Joseph. The Bible reveals that he's called an archangel, one of the leading angels in the government, the angelic government of God. These are angels that stand, as it says, they stand in the presence of God. One of them is Gabriel. We know another one is probably Michael, who is talked about and mentioned in the book of Daniel. They are angels who stand in the presence of God, but they also are ready to carry out the orders of God. 
And these angels were given the responsibility, John said, of blowing the seven trumpets of judgment. But before they begin to do that, something happens. We see it here in verse three. It says, another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from this angel's hand. Then the angel took this censer and he filled it with fire from the altar and he hurled it to the earth. And there came peals of thunder and, and rumblings and, and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. But the Bible tells us that in scripture, the Bible tells us there is an exact duplicate in heaven of the same tabernacle that Moses built on the earth. So understand that. What you're picturing here, you may see the familiarities as you read that. Oh, that's kind of re 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 referencing the temple. Yes, because in heaven there's an exact duplicate of the temple that Moses built here in the earth. So when the Bible says that there's an altar of incense, we know exactly where that was in the temple. Understand, the temple was divided into three parts. There was the outer court, there was the inner court, and then there was the Holy of Holies. And there was a large curtain that separated the inner court from the Holy of Holies. It was there in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant rested and where God's presence dwelled. That curtain, that large curtain, separated sinful man from a holy God because God could not live in the presence of sin. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, the moment that he cried out, it is finished, the Bible says it was this very curtain that was torn in two, signifying that we now have access to his presence. We now have access to the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. Say amen, everybody. Right, And so we understand this. I want to give you a couple of thoughts about this altar of incense. Number one, write this down. The altar of incense was just outside of the Holy of Holies in the temple. And so as you walk in into the inner court or to the outer court, you walk past the altar of sacrifice that's out there and you walk into the inner court and then you see this altar where incense is burning. In the Old Testament temple, the altar of incense sat in the inner court right outside of the Holy of Holies because the priests were required to take the incense from that altar and bring it into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God while it burned. The book of Hebrews even talks about this altar in chapter 9 of Hebrews, that the altar of incense actually belongs on the inside of the curtain of God's presence of the Holy of Holies because that's where our prayers are. And our prayers go up into God's presence like this incense. So this altar of incense in God's presence, listen, it is a place of prayer. Here in heaven is the same altar of incense where your prayers and my prayers are taken to this altar and our prayers go up before God like a sweet aroma in his presence. Some people don't pray because they think that their prayers are bothering God. Listen, when you pray, your prayers are never bothering your heavenly father. Aren't you glad he says that your prayers are a sweet fragrance to me? Your prayers are more precious to God and more awesome to God than you and I will ever even realize. The Bible says that some coals were taken from the altar of incense and John said they were thrown down to earth here in the Revelation. 
If you study how God said things were to be done in the Old Testament, in the temple, you would find out that God says, here's how you have to do it. He prescribed to the priest, take some of the coals from the altar of sacrifice. You gotta watch this. He said, take coals from the altar of sacrifice and take them to the altar of incense. I want you to follow this because you're gonna miss it. It's so powerful. Write this down. The coals for this altar, the altar of incense, the coals came from the altar of sacrifice. That's what burns the incense. Whatever coals were burning on the altar of sacrifice, they would bring those coals after the sacrifice, they would bring them to the altar of incense and the same coals would then burn the incense. He said, God said in the Old Testament, you can't use any other fire on the altar of incense. You can only use the fire from the altar of sacrifice on the altar of incense. In fact, you may remember there were some priests in the Old Testament who brought what the Bible called some strange fire to the altar of incense in the temple, some different fire, and the Bible says that they dropped dead immediately. That's how important this was to God. Why is it so important? Because watch, the prayers that are offered up, that, that the fire burns, it comes from the altar of sacrifice, and there's no doubt that the altar of sacrifice is a symbol today of Jesus Christ. And what he did on the cross means that there's no more sacrifice that needs to be made on that altar. How many believe that he was the ultimate sacrifice? Once and for all. So don't miss this, don't miss this. It's the coals from the altar of sacrifice that are brought to the altar of incense that cause those prayers to have a sweet aroma before God. Do you see how intricate God is in his plan? In every detail, he wants to show us that our prayers are wonderful to him, but the thing that makes them wonderful is what Jesus did on the cross. Come on, when you take your prayers and you put them together with what Jesus did on the cross, it creates a sweet aroma in the presence of God. Y'all better get this. Every time we pray, every time we pray, it reminds God of the sacrifice of his son. Because it's his sacrifice that allows our prayers to go before the Father. Amen. So the coals of the altar of incense came from the altar of sacrifice. Listen, as a believer, if you ever feel like your prayers are not being heard, don't you dare believe the lie of the evil one. God wants you to understand in a very powerful way. Your prayers come before me. They are in my presence. They are a sweet aroma to me. Our prayers not only delight God, our prayers move him to action. Amen. Y'all awake today? Amen. And here in Revelation 8, we see these coals from the altar of incense. They are thrown down to the earth. So God's judgment begins to come upon the earth, watch, to answer the prayers of the saints. That evil will be taken out of the world and that God will reign forever. Are you following me? We're all familiar with the Lord's prayer when Jesus prayed to the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that happening yet? Of course not, not in this way. In heaven we see it, that when God says it, it happens immediately in heaven. It's, it, it's already done. But on earth, God's will is not done immediately. You see, God allowed us the freedom of choice as human beings. 
And that is what brought evil and sin into this world. So that prayer hasn't been answered yet. But over the last 2,000 years since the resurrection, every believer has prayed that prayer. That prayer has been added to all the other prayers in heaven. And friends, there is coming a day when that prayer is going to be answered. And Revelation tells us how God's going to answer that prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's going to create a whole new heaven and a whole new earth where his will is done every moment of every day. I want you to see that these judgments are a reminder of the fact that God is answering the prayers of his people. Aren't you glad that God has a plan even if we miss it sometimes? Amen. Now, before we look at these seven trumpet judgments, let me remind you in a little different way of what we talked about a little bit last week. Remember, the, uh, the, these are the accounts of the time of tribulation. We talked about that a little last week, the time of great trouble and great anguish and, and great distress and destruction that comes upon the earth as it, as it falls apart at the end of days. But let me remind you of three different kinds of tribulation that are talked about in Scripture. Write these down in your notes. First of all, there, there are three types of tribulation. The first one is the, the trials of everyday life. Some of you have tribulation in your life right now. It's not like what we're reading here in Revelation, but you're having some pretty tough days in your life right now. Some of you watching online, you're in some kind of tribulation in your life right now. It's the trials of everyday life that come in a personal way to all of us at different times. Listen, nowhere in Scripture does God promise that we as believers are going to escape the trials of this world. In fact, Jesus promised it. You're going to have trouble in this world. But he said, take heart because I have overcome the world. Right? The Bible says that we as believers, we're going to face trials. We're going to face trouble. We're going to face tribulation while we're in this world. God uses them, though, as his people. He uses them to perfect his image of Jesus in us. So we understand the trials. There's tribulation of everyday life. And then there's what the Bible calls the great tribulation. This is what we're studying in Revelation. It's the period of time at the end of days when the wheels start to fall off and the world's going downhill. Many of the judgments that we're going to read about today in the seven trumpets are part of the time of the great tribulation. Now, a third expression of what God's going to do in the end is what's called in the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, it is called the day of the Lord. You may have read that somewhere in scripture, the day of the Lord. Listen to me. The day of the Lord is the end. The day of the Lord, biblically, is when Jesus comes as the king and as the ruler and the books are closed and things are finished. So it's important to understand that. Today, we're going to begin to look at a lot of the details that are part of the second one, which is the great tribulation time at the end of all things. Jesus called it the time of great distress. In a few weeks, we're going to look at the seven bowls of wrath that are poured out, and we're going to look at the many different events that are a part of this time that, that the scripture calls the, the day of the Lord. But I want us to look at these seven trumpets this morning. Are you ready? Say yes. In verse six through nine, of, of Revelation chapter 8, it says the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. And the first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. 
A third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees was burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea was turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, when you read this, you can't help but be reminded of another judgment in the world. You, you start reading things like, you know, a falling a hail of fire and the sea being turned to blood. And these judgments kind of make us reminisce a little bit about the judgment that God brought upon Egypt. When Moses was trying to exodus the people of God from slavery and from bondage under Pharaoh, how many of you remember the 10 plagues, right? And when you read all this, it kind of reminds you of that. Remember, we began Revelation by talking about the fact that knowing the Old Testament is vital for understanding Revelation. Most of the judgments that are described here are related actually to the plagues in Egypt. However, in the Old Testament in Egypt, God's judgment was localized to one nation. And the Bible says the more plagues that were sent, the more their hearts were hardened and the further they, they drew away from God. And this is the exact same thing that's going to happen at the end of days. But now it's not localized just to one nation. It's all around the world. So let's just walk through these seven trumpets of judgment. But I want you to write this down before we jump into it because I'm gonna show you how these seven are broken up. Write this down. The seven trumpets are divided into four and three. The first four bring devastation to nature, and the last three are aimed more directly at man. So I want you to understand that as we jump into it. And I encourage you, first of all, to realize these are actual events. These are not metaphors. These are not imageries. These are actual events. But as we go through them, let me encourage you, don't get too caught up in trying to figure out how all the events fit together and how exactly one's gonna follow the other. You have to remember, this is global chaos, okay? The world is falling apart in all of this. The apocalypse, by definition, is not logical. It's, it's global chaos. This is, this is terrible. God here is just giving us a picture of what's gonna happen to help us understand. Are you following what I'm saying? So the first trumpet, write this down. The first trumpet is the destruction of a third of the earth. And we find that in verses six through seven that we just read. In your notes, I've actually given you a verse to compare it to. In Exodus chapter nine, in verse 23 through 26, the hail that falls upon Egypt and its judgment is very reminiscent here. But here, at the end of days, the hail and fire that falls on the earth, the Bible says it burns up a third of the earth, a third of all the trees, and all the green grass is completely destroyed. That's the first trumpet. The second trumpet blows, and this is the destruction of a third of the sea. We just read about it in verses eight and nine. Understand, it may be a third in one place, or it could be a third all over the earth. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. In Joel chapter 2 and verse 30, it talks about the same kind of sign happening at the end. So therefore, we understand in John's day, they, they all would have understood this if they read it because they, they read the Old Testament. They understood that. Wow, Joel said the same thing, right? The third trumpet blows. And the third trumpet is the destruction of a third of the fresh water of the earth. 
and it talks about this in verses 10 and 11. It says this, a third angel sounded his trumpet and a a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Again, in John's day, everyone who would have read this, who knew the Old Testament, their mind would have immediately gone to the story in the Old Testament that was mirror to this event. In Exodus 15, when Moses and the people of Israel, the Bible says they came in their wilderness journey to a place called Marah, and the Bible says they were all dying of thirst, and they couldn't drink the water there because the water was bitter. Everybody say bitter. It was toxic. It was poisonous. So the people grumbled to Moses as they always did. You know, what are we going to drink? And in Exodus 15, in verse 24, the Bible says that Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. So notice here in Exodus, you have the bitter waters becoming sweet. But at the end of days, it's in reverse. It is the sweet waters that are becoming bitter. And don't miss this, because as believers, it's also a picture of what Jesus did for us. In Exodus, notice that God showed Moses a tree to throw into the bitter water, and when he did, the waters were made sweet. Aren't you glad that on the cross, Jesus took the bitter li- bitterness of our life and he turned them into sweet victory because of his mercy and his love and his grace? It's a foreshadowing in Exodus. It means whatever bitter situation is going on in your life, come on, just throw the cross into it and it'll be made sweet again. He doesn't keep problems from happening in our lives. You're gonna have some sour circumstances, but he does use them to grow us. And we know that someday we're gonna be with him in heaven where there will be no more tears ever again, right? Come on, is anybody glad that the bitter becomes sweet because of Jesus, right? But the opposite can become true as well. If you're a person who's in here or you're watching online and you say, you know what, I got my own plan for my life. I'm gonna live my own way all the way to the end. I'm gonna do it my way. Well, you better hear me. There will come a day when Christ will no longer come to you as savior. He will come again as judge and he'll turn what you thought was a sweet life into a very bitter end. So the real question today is, do I trust Christ to make bitter things in my life the sweet things in my life? The reality of this third trumpet is that a third of the fresh water of the earth is going to become undrinkable. Can you imagine what that's going to do to the population of this earth? Can you imagine the anguish? Can you imagine the wailing? Can you imagine the pain? But we're not done because there's a fourth trumpet. The fourth trumpet blows and it's the destruction of a third of the heavens. The fourth trumpet gets even more serious than the the first three. In verse 12, it says, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light 
and also a third of the night. As you walk through these judgments, it's inevitable that you start thinking, well, what does that mean that God, you know, sets a mountain on fire? Is it a volcano? Is it a meteor? Is it, you know, some kind of, of, of spiritual symbol? Is it a nuclear bomb? What is God talking about here? Hey, I want you to lean into this right now. Lean into what I'm going to tell you right now, because maybe the most important thing that we're going to say in this entire study of Revelation is going to be said in the next few moments. So lean into this, because to really come to grips with what Revelation teaches about the prophetic future of God's plans for the earth and how to understand what's going to happen in the future. Listen to me. You have to understand the difference between three critical things. Write these down in your notes. First of all, there is understanding and distinguishing prophetic revelation, first of all. Prophetic revelation. This means that God has revealed himself very clearly. Prophetic revelation means there's no question. God said it. He spelled it out in black and white. We know that's exactly what he's going to do. There's no doubt about it because it's right there in Scripture. There's no, there's no, no need to, to go any further. It's very clear. It's prophetic revelation. You have to understand the difference between that and prophetic interpretation. This means that throughout the centuries, Christians have maybe had two or three different ideas or different ways of interpreting the same Scripture. Well, maybe it could happen this way, or maybe it could happen that way, or maybe it could happen another way. There's a couple of ways to maybe interpret the passage because it may not be as clear. So you have to distinguish between prophetic revelation and prophetic interpretation. And finally, you better know the difference between all of them and this, and that is prophetic speculation. That's when you sort of say, I think it can mean this based on what I see or based on a headline that I read in the news today. It's kind of sort of what I think, right? So let's just play these three things out so I can help you understand. This is gonna, this is gonna equip you to read prophecy the right way. First of all, let's just take prophetic revelation. Everybody say revelation. Prophetic revelation. Jesus is coming again. How many of you believe that? No doubt about it, right? The Bible is clear, crystal clear about that. Anybody who reads the Bible, anybody who believes the Bible, they believe Jesus Christ is coming again. Prophetic interpretation is, is he coming back before or in the middle or at the end of the tribulation? We talked about a little bit about that last week, about why we believe strongly in the biblical view of a pre-tribulation rapture. But it's a matter of interpretation, exactly when he's going to return, because it's not clearly spelled out in Scripture. Jesus doesn't even know. They asked him in the Gospels, when will be your return? He said, I don't even know. Only the Father knows. Aren't you glad that one day the Father's going to lean over to his son and whisper in his ear, go get my kids. Listen, they're getting the horses ready right now. So that's the interpretation. It's a matter of interpretation. But then, there is, there in, then there's prophetic speculation. That's, that's if I said, I believe he's coming back before the year 2025 based on what I see in the world, right? Now, is there any scripture to base that on? No. 
All right, let's walk it out again in case you're kind of wondering, what are you talking about? Let, let, me, let me walk it out one more time. Prophet, one more time. Everybody say prophetic revelation. Prophetic revelation is this. God will judge the world with destruction. How many believe that's clear? Old Testament and New Testament, right? There's gonna be a time of destruction on this world at the end. Then there's prophetic interpretation. Everybody say interpretation. That is that the judgments that are in the book of Revelation, do they all occur at the same time or do they occur one after the other? People interpret it different ways. But then there's prophetic speculation. Everybody say speculation. Speculation would be the, the means for this certain destruction is a nuclear explosion. Right? Because you read these things about waters becoming bitter and the sea turning to blood and, and all that kind of stuff. And people say, oh, that's gotta be a nuclear bomb, man. That's pure speculation. There's nothing, there's nothing in the Bible that tells you that, that it's gonna be a nuclear bomb. That's, that's a matter, it's, it's not a matter of interpretation, that's a matter of speculation. By the way, interpretively, I have a little trouble personally with the nuclear bomb theory of Revelation. It could be, but I don't believe that it is. I don't believe that we are going to destroy ourselves in Revelation. Remember, these are not judgments that man brings upon himself in the end. These are judgments that God brings upon this world. Some people act as if that all, the only way this could happen is by a nuclear explosion. Listen, God wiped out Egypt before we ever knew what an atom was. How many of you know that he's in charge of this world and he can do it however he wants to do it? But some people think that these are images of nuclear holocaust. That's a speculation. See, you have to understand the difference between speculating on events based on the news headlines and interpreting events based on the word of God. It's very important to understand this. Now, is it okay to speculate? Is it okay for some people to say, I believe, you know, who's the, who's the, uh, who's the, the prince in England? What's his name? Not Harry, he vacated. Who's the other guy? Oh, he's the king the king to be. Is that a son? Diane's son? William, dadgummit, William. Ah, Billy. I've heard, hey, I've heard Christians for years say, oh, Prince William is the Antichrist. Prince William. They've even gotten the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the cloth, what's the, man, what's the, wrong with me? The Shroud of Turin. How many know what the Shroud of Turin is? Okay, whatever. Um, it said, it looks like Jesus, his image was burnt through from the resurrection. It could be, I don't know. They, they have a lot of evidence that many, many scholars believe this is it. And they've, <laughs> they've taken that image of Jesus in the Shroud of Turin and they've, they've transcribed it over into Prince William's face. It's, it's the Antichrist. People believe that certain presidents throughout history were the Antichrist. They think this one's the Antichrist now. People thought Hitler was the Antichrist. Okay, so is there anything wrong with speculating? No. God's word doesn't command us not to speculate. 
Nowhere are we commanded not to think about and speculate. Well, maybe it could be this way. Maybe it could be that way. However, we are commanded not to set dates. Jesus said that very, very specifically. Not to say, well, this is when it's going to happen. There's a difference between speculation and claiming certainty. There's some people who will come along and say, well, I know what's going to happen, and I know when it's going to happen. Listen, anytime they say that, they have crossed a line with Scripture. What's sad is, I believe most people today are much more interested in speculation than they are interpretation. I think we should be more interested in interpreting the Scripture instead of speculating on it. Amen, everybody? I know it's a lot more work, but I know you guys are interested more in interpreting, and that's why you're here today. That's why you're logging in today. Amen, everybody? So, so why is this so serious? Don't miss this right here. Why is this so serious? Because if you don't have revelation and interpretation, all you have is speculation. And then when all you've got speculation, you better watch it, because any preacher and teacher can take you anywhere they want you to go. And they'll lead you into a cult it's happened all throughout history. Doctrines of demons come through the guise of pulpits that have deceived many into destruction because they, all they had was speculation and nobody took the time to get in to say, wait a minute. That's not what the Bible says. You better have some revelation and interpretation. Come on, this is good. I'm preaching better than you letting on today. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> Amen, Pastor Jason. So as you read all through these prophetic events and what's going to happen, and you hear about that mountain that falls into the sea, understand that what God's word is, is giving us a picture. Could it be an asteroid? Sure. But that's speculation. Could it be some kind of atomic event? Sure. But this speculation. Could it be a volcano that God lifts out of the earth and drops it to the ground? Yes. But that's speculation. What we do know by revelation and interpretation is that the sea around the globe is going to be incredibly disrupted by whatever this natural event is. Are y'all still following? Now we come to the end of chapter eight, and I want you to notice how chapter eight ends. I found this very startling in my study. The last verse is verse 13. All of a sudden, in the middle of all this, as I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Whoa! Whoa! Woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three. As if you thought these were bad. Oh, it's about to get real bad. Now watch, because everything... Up to this point, everything has affected man in the earth. But in the fifth trumpet, we see that mankind itself is tortured and locusts come. And we pick it up. We turn the page from chapter 8 into chapter 9. And in verse 1 of chapter 9, the Bible says, A fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke of a gigantic furnace. 
The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts come, came down upon the earth and were given and they were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. These locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold and their faces resembled human faces. So these locusts are commanded not to harm the grass. Interesting. Not to harm the plants. That's what locusts do but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. Remember the 144,000 who received God's seal. We talked about that last week. In this season, those, are, those people are not harmed. Notice these locusts were not given the power to kill mankind, but only to torture them for seven months. And in verse seven, it continues. Their hair was like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like, like scorpions and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. They had as a king over them, I want you to pay attention to this. They had as a king over them the angel of the abyss whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in the Greek is Apollyon, that is destroyer. As you read that, you start to see something spiritual happening here. You see these demonic powers of hell or Hades coming forth to attack the earth. These locusts, like, like so often in the Old Testament, these locusts are signs or symbols of divine wrath of divine judgment. In Exodus 10, it talks about how God often used locusts as a form of judgment. But in this case, they're a very different kind. But no, it's, it's a spiritual, notice it's, a, it's something spiritual that's happening here. It's not the same locust as the Old Testament. But notice that even here, in the end, even in this terrible moment in verse five, everything is still limited and controlled by God. God says, here's who you can strike and here's who you can't strike. Here's how far you can go. You can kill them. You can't kill them. How long is it gonna last? Only five months. It's a sign again that here in the end, God is still in control of everything. As God allows all this to happen, it reminds us of his purpose. He's got purposes at the end. The first of them is happening right here. These are demons that are being released. What are, what are three of God's purposes in the end? Write these down real quick. The first one, one of his purposes is that he wants to unmask Satan. Let him be who he is so the world can see him. The Bible tells us that now in the dispensation of grace that we live in, Satan often disguises himself as an angel of light, even to you and I as believers. That's why sometimes you wonder, is this God? Is it me? Is it Satan? I don't know. He disguises himself as an angel of light. He's tricky. 
He's scheming right now. But here in the end, hey, God's going to let him have his way. When you have, when you have locust-like entities flying through and destroying people and people are dying, all these terrible events, it's very clear what kind of character Satan is. In these end time events, understand, one of God's purposes will be to unmask Satan and let the world see him for who he really is. Here's the second one of God's purposes. It'll be to judge sin. God is a holy God. Do you believe that, everybody? He cannot live in the presence of sin. He wants to bring all the world into his presence. But before he can do that, the sin that's in this world has to be judged. The good news is that if I come to Jesus Christ now, Jesus said, I've already passed away from that judgment and into life. I don't have to worry about that judgment anymore. That's what Jesus came to do for us is to release us and deliver us from all judgment. Amen, everybody. Finally, the purpose of God in these end time events is to invite salvation. Have you noticed, (laughs) this is interesting, have you noticed that when the world's falling apart, people get more interested in spiritual things? I remember right after 9-11, man, churches were packed out for months. I really, filter me, Holy Spirit. There are thousands watching. I really believe that if we had some common sense operating right now, the churches would be packed right now. Selah. interesting when the world's falling apart. Everybody gets interested in spiritual stuff. Wow. Many of you came to Christ because your world was falling apart. You see, God's going to allow these, this is the good news. God's going to allow these things to happen in the world so everyone gets the fullest opportunity to come to him and surrender their lives to him. So at the end of days, as this world comes to a close, we're reading in these trumpet judgments how evil is going to grow. And you see that. However, each week of this whole series, as we've looked at it, I hope you've noticed that there's also some good that's happening too. There are the prayers of the saints that are being answered. There's the 144,000 that are sealed by God. There are people still being one to Christ, even here at the end of it all. The encouraging thing about this is sometimes when you, when you study these end time events, you might think, well, why in the world should I even care about the world? I mean, God's gonna do all this anyway. He's gonna do what he wants to do. And you know what? He'll bring whoever he wants to himself or whatever. Yet these verses we just read, they remind us that in the end, God is still bringing people to himself. Come on, that's why the church of Jesus Christ needs to be the church in every age and in every generation, no matter what's happening in our world. We have a job to do. Growth is not an option. I hear this sometimes in the church. We've been accused of it by well-meaning good people. Well, I don't know what's going on down there. A vibrant church. That's too big. They must be compromising the word. Ain't no way you can grow a church like that and preach the word. I've heard people say, well, they're just bent on numbers. That's all they care about is numbers. You know what? Yeah, doggone right. 
because every number is a person that was died for by Jesus Christ and Jesus paid for, and I'm all about numbers. In fact, God's all about numbers. He wrote a book about it. Growth is not an option. We ought to be the church of Jesus in every age, in every generation. I don't care what's happening in our world. Come on, I believe wholeheartedly that if there's one person tonight in Lowndes County that is gonna die and go to hell, we have a mandate to grow. We have a mandate to reach out. We have a mandate to continue doing what God's called us to do. Don't give up on sharing your faith, man. Don't give up. Don't let this discourage you from sharing your faith. Listen, the book of Revelation is the greatest encouragement to share our faith than anything I can imagine because it tells people what's coming. It's the big warning sign in humanity. Now, what is this abyss that all these, these things come out of, these angels that come out? Is it hell? No. We're gonna find out later in Revelation that there is no one in hell yet. The Bible says there's a temporary place called Hades where the demons reside and where those who don't know Christ, they are awaiting judgment right now. It is a place of torment, but it's not the ultimate hell. Apparently, these beings are imprisoned there in the abyss. You can read about it in Luke chapter eight. When Jesus, remember when Jesus cast that legion of demons into a herd of pigs? And the demons begin to beg Jesus, watch. They begin to beg him not to throw them back into the abyss, but to let them go into those pigs. They didn't want to be locked up in there again. But here in Revelation, they're going to be let out. And we read a couple of, we're going to read a couple of chapters later that ultimately they're going to be thrown into a permanent place called hell. And that's a permanent place where they're going to be locked away from the presence of God forever. All right, so the sixth trumpet begins to blow. And this is the destruction of a third of mankind on the earth. Wow. Watch this. Verse 13. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet and I heard a vo voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that was before God. It said to the sixth angel, I want you to watch something here geog ge geographically. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river, what? Euphrates. Let me give you a little geography just for a moment. It's very important for you to understand that in John's day, anybody reading this, when they saw the word Euphrates, they would have immediately thought, that's the edge. That's right on the edge of disaster. For any Jewish person reading this, the Euphrates River was the boundary where the Jewish religion reached, Judaism. That was the boundary that it reached. Outside of that, there were unbelievers and Gentiles, right? For the Roman person reading this, the Euphrates River was the boundary where civilization went to. Beyond that were, were barbarians that would invade. Anyone in John's day would, have, would ultimately see this as they read Euphrates. They would have thought, that's the edge. That's the, that's the edge of all things. So there's, so there's the barrier, and the Bible says the barrier is going to be broken, and all those enemies we've been frightened of, they're going to come pour in. The Bible says the four angels were released to kill a third of mankind in the earth. 
Now remember, before that, is, before that staggers you, remember a quarter of the population has already been killed from the fourth seal that we read about last week. That's now half of the population of the earth gone. Could you imagine a day in this world where you could walk for days and not find one living thing? And the Bible says, the means for doing this that God's gonna use are 200 million troops, says in verse 16. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year, look at, the, look at how precise God is, were released to kill a third of mankind. And then it says this, the number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number, 200 million. And then look, 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 look how they're, look what they're described as. It says in verse 17, it says, the horses and the riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions and out of their mouths came fire and smoke and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails for their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflicted injury. So let's go back to what we talked about earlier, Revelation interpretation and speculation. Revelation here, God reveals to us that these 200 million troops will destroy a third of mankind. That's revelation. It's very clear right here. Interpretation is, there's, there's two interpretations for who these 200 million troops are. One interpretation is that they are a great human army that God uses as an instrument of judgment. Another interpretation that's been believed for the past 200 or 2,000 years is that these, this is a demonic army and the same demons that were released to torture earlier are now being released to kill and to destroy. And there are good, strong Christians on both sides of that interpretation. Now, speculation is this is the army of China. <laughs> it's right there, clear as day in Scripture. China, China army gonna come take, kill everything, right? This may be what you've read about before. Why? Why would it be easy to speculate on that? Because China has the largest army in the world currently. So of course you would speculate, well, if God's gonna use a human army, it obviously would be the Chinese army. Could that speculation be right? Of course it could. Could it be wrong? Of course it could. But listen, don't get so caught up in the speculation that you miss the revelation that this is a great time of judgment that's going on. And watch, because in this great time of judgment, God tells us how people in the earth are going to respond to all of this. Look what it says in verse 20. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues, look at, look at this, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They still did not stop worshiping demons. The idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see, cannot hear, and cannot walk. Nor did they repent of their murders and their magic arts 
and their sexual immorality or their thefts, still did not repent. There's three descriptions given here. Write these down real quick. Y'all still with me? Three descriptions. I want you to write these down real quick. How will people respond? Number one, they will be rebelliously unrepentant. They just won't repent. I mean, what more does God have to do? As we said at the beginning today, remember we talked about just like in Egypt and the plagues in Egypt, when God brought the plagues down to Egypt, the Bible says with every plague that came upon Egypt, Pharaoh had an opportunity to say yes to God, but every opportunity that came, the Bible says he hardened his heart all the more to say no to him. And it made it very clear what his heart was. And this is exactly what's happening at the end of days. There's gonna be no doubt where people's heart is. Every tragedy that happens, instead of turning toward a God who can save them, they are hardening their hearts and they are rebelliously unrepentant. Second thing is, they are religiously idolatrous. They keep serving the idols that can't talk and can't do anything. So in light of all these things that are happening, they continue to resist God. They continue to reject God. And then ultimately, it says that they are morally decadent, which may be the reason that they're rebelliously unrepentant and religiously idolatrous. They are morally decadent. They, they, they keep murdering. They keep stealing. They continue in their sexual immorality. While God's people are being set free, while our inheritance is being given back to us, which is what the book of Revelation it, it talks about, at the same time, those who are not God's people are hardening their hearts toward him. You better hear me right now. Those, those who have their hearts tied to this world will not be able to let go of it in the end. It's like holding on to the rails of the Titanic while it's going down, gripping it as if somehow it's going to be your salvation. That's the picture here. They're holding on tighter and tighter and tighter. And as the ship is falling apart all around them and people are screaming, they're tightening their grip rather than loosening their grip and looking for a life raft. That's exactly what's happening. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Because we come to the seventh trumpet, and you remember I told you each one of the last ones, like the Russian doll, they open up to more. So we saw the seventh seal opens the seven trumpets. Well, the seventh trumpet opens the seven bowls of God's wrath. How many are you interested in what that is? Good, you need to come back next Sunday. <laughs> We're going to talk all about it. You thought this was bad? This was the warm-up act for what's about to happen. Listen, listen to me. Before y'all start, ladies, just keep your shoes off. I believe there are two things that we need to receive from all of this today. Just listen. First of all, there's a spiritual application to all of this. And that is, how many believe that we ought to pray for the salvation of those who don't know Jesus, man. That they'll come to know him and find hope that is in him and him alone. Scripture says it's God's desire that none should perish, but that all come to him. We can pray. 
We can pray for that. And the Bible says that those prayers go straight to heaven in God's presence where there is sweet aroma to him. Secondly, listen, there's not just a spiritual application to this. Listen to me. There's a personal application to all of this. This is not just about end times. No, 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 no. This applies to you and you and you and all of us right now. Because the truth is, listen to me. The truth is, we are way too caught up with this world. We happen to live in a country where we're not persecuted a lot. So it's pretty easy to get caught up in worldly things. We're followers of Jesus, man, and we know when the end comes, hey, we know where we're going. We know who we're going to be with. We know we're going to be with him for all of eternity. But how about right now? Let me ask you a serious question. As you read and as you hear these accounts of what's going to happen in this world in the end, listen, does it cause worldly things to loosen their grip on you just a little bit? That's one of the things I think should happen to us as believers. We start to realize, wait a minute, this earth is not my home. I'm not a citizen of this earth. And by the way, I don't want to be a citizen of this earth. I'm a citizen of heaven. You see, Revelation shows us this, that, that the world is a shaky place, yes. But if that's all you get out of the book of Revelation, you've missed the whole point entirely. That's only half the truth. That's the lesser truth. Revelation shows us that this world is a shaky place. But right alongside of that, it shows us that heaven is an unshakable place. Heaven is an eternal place. Heaven is a place of hope. And as believers, we have our future secured with Jesus. And anybody who comes to him can have their future secure with Jesus for all of eternity. As I realize that, I don't know about you, but it causes worldly things to loosen its grip on my life. And I think about, I think about what God wants to happen in us and through us. As we read these accounts and truths of what God's going to have, what he's going to do, what's going to happen at the end of days. Come on, aren't you glad that no matter what happens in this world, we have our hope in Jesus? Come on, aren't you glad that we have a home in heaven? I don't know about you, but, I, but this world is not my home. I, I, I'm a citizen of a different kingdom, y'all. Hey, you can have this world, just give me Jesus. You can have the fame, just give me Jesus. You can have the money, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. It's all going to burn up one day. I was talking to someone this week who's a little older than me. They're 70s. And I'm 44. And I, and I, I was sitting this week going, man, where is the time going? When I look at a 19-year-old daughter sitting right there, and I used to change her diapers. <laughs> I'll give you $10 for that. I'll give you 20. I'll give you 20. And the son who's about to be 17, 
and my little guy who just turned 11. It's like yesterday. You ever had that feeling that time just, just a vapor? It's shocking. I was watching an old movie the other night and the phone rang in the movie and it was an old movie, 1995. And the phone rang in the movie and the person walked over to the wall and picked it up. And my kids go, what is that? And in that moment, you just feel like you're one foot in the grave. I mean, you just feel old. How many of you know this time flies, man? Listen, this world is careening toward judgment. You cannot, as God's people, we cannot get so tied to the things of this world. It's all gonna fade away. It's all gonna come to dust and ash. It's gonna mean nothing. Only that which is eternal will remain. I think this is a season right now with all this pandemic and whatever else, tensions and things that are happening. You know what I really believe? I really believe that God in a subtle way is using it. He's in control. Don't think for one second that God's not in control of every bit of this. He's in control of every bit of it. God's not sitting up in heaven looking at Jesus going, what in the world? Did you see that coming? You know, he saw, he's, listen, I really believe we are in that season. Listen to me. And, and yes, this may be a little bit of speculation, but I really am rooting this in, some, in a lot of interpretation. And that is, I really believe that we're in the beginning of sorrows. I really believe God is using all of this around the world right now to do what? To wake up his people. The church, I am coming again soon. And the priority is not the ball field. The priority is not your promotion at work. It's not your car. It's not your popularity. It's not your looks. There are people that need to know me. And I'm just asking for a heart check today. I know I'm going over my time, but let me pray for you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Those of you who are watching online, would you just participate? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus in this moment, your Holy Spirit would convict us. Convict us where our hands are too tight around this world. Oh God, let these truths loosen the grip of this world around our heart. God, refocus us back on eternal things. God, as we start 21 days of prayer, I pray not a soul under the sound of my voice would not participate. I pray everyone would participate. We need to participate. We need to get up a little earlier, maybe. We need to seek you and humble ourselves and, and turn in prayer and seek your face and turn from wickedness. And then you will hear from heaven and forgive our sins and heal our land. God, I pray for that. I pray, God, that you would cause a cleansing to start happening in the lives of your people. In the name of Jesus, as you just remain in prayer, 
I'm not gonna belabor this point, but I'm just gonna ask you very quickly and very honestly, those of you watching online as well, if you're here or you're online and you say, you know what? I don't know if I'm right with God. I'm not sure in my heart. I don't know where I stand. If he were to come now, I don't know if I would make it. Now is the time. This is the day. And God loves you so much. He allowed you to listen to this today because he's crying out to you. He's pursuing you. And if you don't know that you know that you know that you're in right standing with Jesus, I wanna pray with you right where you're seated. I'm not going to embarrass you just with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're watching online right now, if that's you and you say, I want to make a fresh start with God. I want to know that I know. I want to make sure I'm right with him. I want you to shoot your hand up right now. I want you to be bold about it. Come on right now. God bless you. Leave them up. I want to see you. God bless you. And you, and you. I see you up there, all, all the way up there. I see you. God bless you. God bless you. And you, and you, and you, and you. Praise God for you. I see you. God bless you. I see you. I see you right there. God bless you. Praise God for you. Right back here, I see you. God bless you. Praise God for you down here. That's so amazing. I want us to pray, church, and I want to lead those of you who raise your hand in a very simple prayer. If you're watching online, I want you to pray with me as well. Just pray this from your heart right now. Everyone, we're going to pray with you. Everyone praying out loud. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I surrender all of my heart completely to you. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me to live for you. Thank you for a fresh start. In Jesus' name. And everybody said a big amen. Come on, we ought to celebrate right now for people coming to Jesus. Amen. Listen, do me a favor real quick as you remain seated. Those of you who just raised your hand, if you, if you raised your hand in this room, would you do me a favor? Would you pull out the connection card in the seat back in front of you? Would you fill that out? Just let us know who you are. Take you five seconds. Just check the box that applies to you. We just love to celebrate with you and pray for you. If you're online and you prayed that prayer with me, the host is gonna drop a link that we'd love for you to fill out your information so we can be praying for you and just celebrate what God's doing in your life. We're so proud of you. And church, thank you so much for, for being a part of somebody else's eternity being shifted for making a difference in someone else's life. You may think, well, how in the world have I done that? I'll tell you how. Your generosity, your giving, your returning the tithe to the Lord and being faithful in that. That is what fuels the gospel of Jesus Christ, touching hearts, changing lives here and around the world right now. And I thank you so much for it. I'm gonna take this opportunity. This is a time in our service, just very quickly, that we give you an opportunity to partner with us and to continue that generosity to the Lord and sowing into the kingdom, returning the tithe to him and giving offerings even beyond that. God is gonna bless you so much. His word promises he will. So freely we have received this morning. Let's freely give to him. There's a few ways you can participate. If you're in the room physically, uh, you can participate physically if you want to use the envelopes and the seat backs in front of you. You can fill those out and on your way out the door, you can drop that envelope in the container the ushers will be holding in the exit ways. You can do that. You can give as you go on the way out today. You can also participate a couple of other different ways. You can text to give. You can text the word vibrant to 77977. It'll lead you through some secure steps and you can partner with us that way. We thank you so much. Or you can go to our website, vibrantchurch.com slash giving, and you can sow into the kingdom of God there. We just try to make different options to let everybody have an opportunity to participate. Thank you, church, for making a difference in so many people's lives. It is 
it is going beyond what you would even know in this life, I promise you. And God's gonna bless you for your generosity. Can you say amen, everybody? Hey, would you stand to your feet this morning? Before you rush out the door, don't forget tomorrow morning, 21 days of prayer kicks off, 6 a.m. I'm gonna be standing right here. I want you to open your computer and join me or your phone, whatever you got, tablet, whatever. We're gonna get into prayer. We're gonna take this time to seek God. Don't forget Wednesday night, mega worship night. Get in the house, man. I'm telling you, it's gonna be a powerful, powerful, powerful night. Hey, can I pray a blessing over you? Would you just open your hands and just receive this today right now? I just pray the Lord bless you. I pray he keep you. I pray he make his face shine upon you. I pray that he be faithful to you and good to you and that he, he, he turn you toward himself and that he give you peace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow morning.